0: Welcome, we hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. So I'm reading Amos 1 to chapter 2. The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, the vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake when Uzziah was king of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Jehoah, was king of Israel. He said, The Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds dry up, and the top of the Carmel withers. This is what the Lord says, For three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not relent, because she threshed Gilead with sledges, having iron teeth. I will send fire on the house of Hazael, that will consume the fortresses of Ben Hadad. I will break down the gate of Damascus. I will destroy the king who is in the valley of Avon, and the one who holds the scepter in Beth Eden. The people of Aram will go into exile to Ker, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says For three sins of Gaza, even for four, I will not relent because she took captive whole communities and sold them to Edom. I will send fire on the walls of Gaza that will consume her fortresses. I will destroy the king of Ashdod and the one who holds the Scepter of Ashkelon. I will turn my hand against Ekron till the last of the Philistines are dead, says the sovereign Lord. This is what the Lord says, for three sins of Tyre, even for four, I will not relent because she sold whole communities of captives to edom disregarding a treaty of brotherhood i will send fire on the walls of tyre that will consume her fortresses this is what the lord says for three sins of edom even for four i will not relent because he pursued his brother with a sword and slaughtered the woman of the land because his anger raged continually and his fury flamed unchecked. I will send fire unto man that will consume the fortresses of Bozrah. This is what the Lord says For three sins of Ammon, even for four, I will not relent, because he ripped open the pregnant woman of Gilead in order to extend his borders. I will set fire to the walls of Rabbah that will consume her fortresses amid war cries on the day of battle amid violent winds on a stormy day. Her king will go into exile, and his officials together, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Moab, even for four, I will not relent. Because he burned to ashes the bones of Edom's king, I will send fire on Moab that will consume the fortresses of Cariath. Moab will go down in great tumult amid war cries and the blast of the trumpet. I will destroy her ruler and kill all of her officials with him, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Judah, even for four, I will not relent. Because they have rejected the law of the Lord, I have not kept his decrees. Because they have been led astray by false gods, the gods their ancestors followed. I will send fire on Judah that will consume the fortresses of Jerusalem. And then I'll pray for Steve. Yeah, Lord, um, I thank you for today for the beautiful sun and sky, and thank you that we can all gather here in person and online. I pray for Steve as he starts a new series today, and I pray that we'll all be able to take in what he has to say.
1: Amen. Amen. <laughs> amen great to be here lovely to see you guys online hope you're doing okay and i'm sure some of you are enjoying the sun while engaging with this making us all very uh, jealous if i haven't met you i know we've got a few guests today you're really welcome nice to have you hopefully we'll get to meet you soon so the topic today is how does god respond to injustice in our world it was exactly a year ago uh with complete horror We were all watching on our smartphones the asphyxiation of a black man who spent the last nine minutes 29 seconds of his life crying out for mercy and his mum under the knee of a white police officer who had already handcuffed him the police officer was supported by three others and even though george floyd spent the last two minutes of his life motionless or under the knee The bystanders were prevented from interfering. It was only when paramedics turned up that Officer Chauvin lifted his knee. It was an event that shook our world and kicked off the Black Lives Matter movement, a cry for racial justice in our world. A warning, if you want to turn away, the image is very graphic. A white man with his knee on the neck of a black man was a devastating picture of an underlying evil that had been allowed to continue for so much of history. Floyd's murder on the 25th of May, 2020, generated a thunderous roar for justice across our world. More recently, closer to home, we had another thunderous roar for justice. Sarah Everard, a 33-year-old living in London, went missing, was found dead. And we await the trial and hearing for a British police officer who was charged with suspicion of kidnapping and murder. This time the under underlying evil that was revealed was violence against women at the hands of powerful men. Floyd's death created a thunderous roar about racial injustice. Everard's death a thunderous roar against gender discrimination and both created a thunderous cry for accountability for those that abuse their positions of power whether it's race or gender economic or ethnic religious or social there are lots of cries for justice in our world right now justice is a good thing injustice makes us mad Well, the book of amos starts with a thunderous roar from the lord because of the injustice he sees in all the nations of the world but particularly the injustice he sees in the nation he chose for himself israel amos 1 starts like this the lord roars from zion and thunders from jerusalem the pastures of the shepherds dry up in the top of carmel withers god is coming with judgment to bring justice to the nations and to his nation no one escapes this roar israel has started worshiping the false gods of the other nations their idolatry has led them into treading treading on the on the weak selling the poor into debt slavery, ignoring the needs of the destitute, denying their vulnerable resp- representation in the courts, and enabling systems of oppression to remain unchallenged while the, luxury, uh, while the wealthy live in luxury. But Amos says, none of it's gone unnoticed. The Lord has seen it all, and he's coming to hold all those that have acted with injustice, in injustice to account. God roars like a lion so how does god respond to injustice in our world well we're going to see four things from amos chapter one he raises up ordinary people to get involved in a messy work he comes in judgment calling the nations to account he calls his people to step up step up to worship him and to act justly and he offers mercy to all who will hear his roar and respond He raises up ordinary people for a messy work. Let me set some context. We're in the 8th century BC, before the birth of Christ, 100 years before that, so 922 BC. The nation of Israel is split into two. You had 10 northern tribes, Israel, and two southern tribes, Judah. Amos is from the southern tribes, and he's preaching into the northern tribes. So he says in verse one, when Uzziah was king of Judah, the south, and Jeroboam, that's Jeroboam II, was king of Israel in the north. And so uh, the the north, Israel, the northern kingdom, had experienced a time of political financial um, prosperity, and they had experienced some military success. They'd extended their borders, it says, And therefore, they had this time of sort of wealth and prosperity, maybe a Celtic tiger kind of thing. But their wealth had led them into social apathy, to idolatry, and most of all, we're going to learn injustice and neglect of the poor. What is the first thing God does in response? He raises up a shepherd from Tekoa, a man named Amos. In chapter 7, we learn a bit more. He says this, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd and I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. So Amos is not from the family of prophets, he's not used to speaking in a prophetic way, he's a farmer, he's a gardener. But God was raising him up from tending the sheep and the sycamore fig trees and says, go and speak my word into this world full of injustice. And it's important to note, as I said, that Amos is from the southern tribes. Tekoa was 12 miles south of Jerusalem, and he's had to travel up to the northern tribes to preach basically a message of judgment. Now, confronting injustice is hard enough. No one finds it easy speaking truth to power nor challenging the rich in their ways. But Amos, it was doubly hard. Because Judah and and Israel, the North and the South, had been in bitter rivalry for years. And so he had to go from the South and he had all that awkwardness of being a Southerner going up to the North and then bringing a challenging message. This was messy. This wasn't easy. This wasn't simple. This wasn't without cost and challenge. This was complicated. This was going to take some time. This didn't just mean jumping on the social media bandwagon and expressing our view, almost to assure ourselves we've done the right thing. This means something much more complicated and costly to engage in injustice. He had to travel hundreds of miles into enemy territory, put his life at risk, forfeit his comfort and his livelihood, which were the sheep and the sycamore fig trees. He had to leave them. But but that's what God does. He raises up ordinary people who see the injustice in the world and something deep is stirred in them that they want to act on behalf of the poor, to disadvantage themselves and to engage in the complexity and the cost and the messiness of it all. And if that's you, if you're currently engaged in situations like that or you want to be, if God has stirred your heart, he will give you all the resources you need to handle the complexity of it. Hold on to him and he will help you fight if you're wanting to go into the world and help injustice. That was Amos' experience. So how does God first respond? When the world is full of injustice, he raises up ordinary people to get involved in a messy work. Secondly, he comes in judgment and he calls the nations to account. So the rest of chapter one and the start of chapter two, and Rebecca just read it, is God calling all the nations to account for the evil they've done to Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, Edom, Ammon, and Moab, the six nations that are mentioned. And you probably saw it. He uses the same formula. I'll I'll just use two verses. For three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not relent. For three sins of Gaza, even for four, I will not relent. For every nation, he uses the same formula. Why? It's as if God has been patient with the nations, hoping they'll change their ways. He's saying, for three sins, maybe I could hold back my judgment. But for four... I have no choice. My justice now has to come. I cannot and I will not relent. The nations must be brought to account. Or put it like this. Three sins would have been enough for divine judgment to fall, but the fourth transgression has put the matter beyond doubt. This reminds us, you see, in line with all of scripture that God's judgment is preceded by his patience. He doesn't want anyone to perish. wants everyone to come to repentance so God leaves space for repentance and gives the opportunity for all of us to turn to him but there comes a point when the evil is so intolerable to him that he says I can't relent anymore And when God can't relent, it says he comes in fire. Did you see that? Each time judgment is depicted as fire. So again, just two verses. It's the same for all the nations. I will send fire on the house of Haziel and consume the fortresses of Ben-Hadad. I will send fire on the walls of Gaza and consume her fortresses. Fire in the scriptures, as affirmed by our Lord Jesus, was the great picture of the final judgment of God. God's judgment is just, it's devastating, it's all-consuming, it's inescapable. In fire, we disintegrate and we fall apart. Well, that's what's going to happen to the nations, God says. And so for each nation, God picks out specific reasons why his judgment's going to fall on that nation. Because judgment, by the way, is always personal and specific based on the evidence of specific evil. So for Damascus, it was for barbarity and war, treating people as mere crops to be used for profit. For Gaza, it was for slavery. Again, treating people as commercial crop with Edom's help. No plea for age or sex, for child for parent or parent for child. The saleable was sold. Market forces alone mattered to the exclusion of their humanity. Profit drove everything. Tyre, again, it was slavery in cooperation with Edom. For Edom, it was aggression and murder, and particularly brotherly hostility and a lack of compassion to Israel. You know, Edom with the descendants from Esau, the brother of Jacob. But throughout history, they'd just been hostile. For Ammon, it was enforced abortions. It says, because he ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to extend his borders. So the Ammonites were ready to destroy human life that was growing in the mother's womb to stop the tribes increasing that they were destroying so they could extend their borders by being the biggest tribe militarily. Killing the children of the defeated foe enabled them to grow in territory. Property was more important than human life. And with Ammon, we see injustice at its most extreme. The most most vulnerable of all, the defenseless child in the womb, and the tender mother looking forward to a new family member. Are victims of inhumane savagery. For Moab, it is more savagery and military might. Amos talks about the burning of Eden of the king's bones, which refers to the desecration of graves and disturbing the dead. Like the baby in the womb, the dead victim cannot defend himself against the violation. The most vulnerable are treated the most uh, atrociously by the rich. And powerful. God roars when He sees all this in our world. With all the nations, the single thread that drives this is acquisition, land, power, and wealth. That's what leads to injustice. And notice something else it's going to be different for His own people. But for for, for the nations, therefore, God is judging them for crimes against humanity, you could say. The inhuman treatment of people. His judgment against his own people is going to include that and be different. So how does God respond to injustice in our world? He raises up ordinary people to get involved in a messy work. He comes in judgments, calling all the nations to account. He roars. Nothing's going to be missed. It's all going to be held to account. And thirdly, he calls his people to step up, to worship him, and to act justly. I'm actually being a bit kind with that title, because yes, he's calling his people to step up, to worship him, and to act justly, but that's kind of a summary of the rest of the book. At this point, God is actually saying to his people, I'm bringing the same judgment on the nations. I'm bringing it on you, and actually, I'm going to bring more judgment on you. The same three sins and for four, the same fire, it's all there. The same formula's there, and we'll see next week Israel gets three times more judgment than the rest of the nations. You see, as God goes after all the nations, going, This is why I have to bring my judgment because of the injustice in the world, He's actually cleverly going around all the nations surrounding Israel to make Israel the target in the middle. You wouldn't notice that unless you knew your geography of the time. So He says, Why? Because they've rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his decrees because they've been led astray by false gods, the gods their ancestors followed. While the nations are being held account for crimes against humanity, sins against conscience, Judah first, then Israel, are held accountable for sins against God and against his revelation. The nations are not accused of idolatry but of inhumane treatment of others. Israel's accused of both. The nations had not been chosen by God, had not received God's law to live on, and therefore could not be held accountable for not living according to God's word. They'd not, been, they'd not received it. But Judah and Israel could. So their judgment was actually going to be more severe. As I said, next week we'll see it three times longer. Jesus had once put it like this. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with with many blows but the one who does not know and does things deserve in judgment will be beaten with few blows from everyone who's been given much much will be demanded and from the one who's been entrusted with much much will be asked you can imagine the people of Israel, as Amos' message comes, they're hearing about Syria, they're hearing about Philistine, they're hearing about Tyre and Edom and Ammon and Moab, and they even hear about their younger, you know, the, 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 the south, the Judah, and they're like, phew, we're not the bad guys. It's all of them out there. We're okay. But Amos is creating suspense and saying, no, 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 no. Since you've been given more, more is going to be expected from you. In other words, don't you dare create an us versus them mentality we're the good ones they're the bad ones no 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 with great calling comes great responsibility comes great consequences god has no favorites he's not partisan he protects everyone regardless of ethnicity god is coming on a few blows to the nations he's coming with many blows to his own people but why does god send amos from judah to israel and why does God single out Israel and say, my judgment on you is going to be worse? Well, whenever God threatens judgment, it's because he's, he's trying to send a warning. It's, it's smelling salt to wake us up, to turn us around. He wants Israel to forsake their idols, to return to his law, to defend the rights of the poor and to love the most vulnerable in society. Israel had lost their distinctiveness of being a chosen people. Instead of being a light to the nations, they'd become like the nations. They'd forsaken God, turned to idols. Uh, And as they'd done that, they'd committed the same crimes that the nations had committed. And for that, they were more culpable. But God wants them to be distinct again. Distinct in the way they love him and they love their neighbor. And so, what is the message for us today as a church As we hear the thunderous roar against injustice, we mustn't assume the problem is out there with those that don't know God. We must first look inside ourselves, examine our hearts and our lives. Where needed, we must repent, and then we must commit ourselves firstly to worshiping Jesus and forsaking our idols so then we can live lives of justice and mercy in our day, in our society, in our city. Like Moses, we'll need to leave our comfort zone and uh, Moses, Amos, excuse me, our comfort zone and ease. There'll be no quick solutions. but We must step up and engage for the long haul. This is what it is to be the people of God. So how does God respond to injustice in our world? He raises up ordinary people to get involved in a messy work and he equips them for that work. He comes in judgment, calling the nations to account for exactly what they've done. Nothing will go unaccounted for. And he calls his people to step up, to worship him, forsake their idols, and to act justly. But there's one more thing. He offers mercy to all who will hear his roar and respond. Amos had to travel from Judah to Israel, from the south to the north, at the potential cost of his life for the sake of challenging evil within Israel. But one day, another Amos would come. He'd travel from heaven to earth. He'd be a vulnerable, defenseless baby in his mother's tender womb. He'd treat all people justly, regardless of race, ethnicity, and gender. He said his good news was good news for the poor. And he came to set captives free whilst he welcomed the rich and a number came disciples he had many warnings for them that their comfort was leading them away from him and to eternal fire and he not only risked his life he gave his life he became a victim of severe injustice he wasn't given a fair representation in the courts his trial was rigged the rich and powerful and comfortable of his day abused their positions and nailed him naked to a cross he was a victim of violence he had the full force of roman and jewish authorities thrust down upon his neck and if any of you are familiar with crucifixion the way it works is its death by asphyxiation due to the hyper expansion of the chest muscles and the lungs Nine minutes and 29 seconds was horrendous. Jesus hung for a number of hours until eventually the breath was squeezed out of him. The roaring lion had become the lamb that was slain. And why? What would it mean? It would show us once and for all that our God is on the side of the poor and the oppressed. And in not only champions their cause but he understands and experiences their pain god has been a victim god has been helpless god has been abandoned secondly it would show us that for our day for our time we're only at three sins the fourth sin that brings god final and irreversible judgment is yet to come For many of us, we may wish for God to come back and rid the world of all evil injustice, but in his wisdom, he says no, and he's being patient because he doesn't want any to perish, but everyone to repent. On the cross, Jesus experienced the fire of eternal justice and was consumed for you and me that we might receive mercy. The just God was the victim of injustice so that we, the unjust, could be justified. We could be made right with God so we are in an even greater position of revelation than israel if israel was going to be judged more harshly because they'd receive more of the light well each of us has even less excuse because we've received all of the light jesus so may we not take our position and our calling and our responsibility lightly For the consequences for us if we do not turn from our idols and turn to Jesus will be worse than for those that have never heard of him. We have heard of him. So thirdly, finally, when it comes to acting justly for us in our day, we not only do it because it's in line with God's character and will. We not only do it because each person we meet is infinitely precious, made in the image of our infinitely beautiful God. But most of all, we do it because we The people of God are recipients of grace. When we'd acted unjustly, God left his comfort zone to forgive us. When we were weak and oppressed, enslaved by our sin, God disadvantaged himself to raise us up. When we were dirty sinners, Jesus was trodden on and despised so we could be clothed in bright robes of righteousness. It is the gospel of free grace that we deserve nothing and we've received so much that softens our open and opens our heart to the plight of the poor and the oppressed. As we see God disadvantaging himself to raise us up, we become a people that are willing to disadvantage ourselves, to raise up those around us that need us. So God's grace, it makes us just. It causes us to love mercy and to walk humbly. Let's pray. And Andrew's going to come and lead us as we reflect on these things. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the lion who roars. You're full of justice. That one day you will be the perfect judge and you will right every wrong. Every victim of violence, every person that's been oppressed, every uh, injustice in our world, you will one day right it all. And that is a great hope. That was what Katie was praying. What a wonderful hope we have. And yet, Lord, you're the Lamb that was slain to offer mercy for all, and to, to, to firstly to us that we might realise that when we'd acted unjustly and when we'd sinned against you, you came with forgiveness. And I pray, Lord, as we think about our world around us and the different tensions and, and strifes that are, that there are, that you would open our eyes and open our heart to. What you're doing. We thank you that you raise people like Amos, an ordinary person to get involved in a messy work. Make us that kind of a church, those kind, that kind of a people here. Help us to realize it's going to take time. We've got to be fully engaged, be willing to disadvantage ourselves. And Lord, forgive us where we look outside and say, Well, they're the problem, and as if we're now the ones that have solved it assaulted Lord help us to understand where we've we've treaded wrongly and we've transgressed and where we need to be humble and see the blind spots in our own lives so Lord thank you for your mercy thank you for your grace but thank you too for your justice it gives us great hope in
2: The kingdom coming and to reconcile the loss to redeem the whole creation you did not despise the cross for even in your suffering you saw to the other side knowing this was our salvation Jesus for our sake you died Praise the stone was moved for good for the lamb has conquered death and the dead rose from their tomb
3: we proclaim your name, as we, as we praise you, as we lift you high, I pray that our hearts would be stirred and would be moved by the injustices that stir and move your heart. Jesus, I thank you that you, you paid the ultimate price that we might experience freedom. But I pray that we wouldn't take that freedom lightly, that we wouldn't use that freedom to indulge ourselves, but I pray that we would use that freedom to get on our knees to wash hands, to wash feet. That freedom to lower ourselves, to elevate the, the, the voiceless. To elevate the one that, that cannot speak up for themselves. The one that cannot find a way out. The one that cannot hope for a better future. So I pray, Jesus, you would empower us, your church, your people. And as you empower us, I pray that you would then equip us. You give us the resources for the long haul whatever that long haul would look like. So we pray you'd strengthen us, you'd equip us, give us the resources, and would you reveal to us what the long haul is that we may take our place, that we may plug in, in your name. Amen. Amen. Guys, that's the end of our service. I just realized as I started to pray that this mic stand is now taller than me. So thank you, Steve. Um, Guys, I'd encourage you to... Uh, get, get up, if possible, fairly sharpish, and make your way out the exit door. And please do hang around. It would be really great to chat to chat to you guys. And I haven't met a, a whole ton of you, so it would be really awesome to meet a few new faces today as well. So listen, that's the, that's the end of our service. A few last notices. If you're online, breakout rooms are going to be opening. Caroline is working like mad to get them breakout rooms going. Well done, Caroline. It's amazing. Monday Night Football tomorrow night. Um, 6.30 at the Monument. I haven't got playing yet this year, but I'm looking forward to getting back to Monday Night Football. So 6.30 at the Wellington Monument. And then remember, Prayer and Worship Night, 2nd of June this Wednesday night in this place. And it's also online as well. So we can fit 30 here, and then we can fit 300 online. So and it would be great, great to see you guys on Wednesday, and have a good evening.